0: Hey there, listeners, and welcome back to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm your co-host, Greg B. Joining me is Jacob. Hello. And today, we're going to be reviewing Evolution Climate. This is sort of a follow-up to our Evolution Evolution Flight episode, which was released quite a while ago now. Yeah, it's It's, been been a while. That's vintage. All right. But yeah, so we're going to be reviewing that. But first, let's have some
1: tales from the tabletop. Ooh, spooky, except not not really. really. No, yeah. But so you've been doing some pretty damn good RPGing recently. I have been very busy with uh, tabletop RPGs.
0: I so that campaign that I've been running for my coworker and our friends, I wrapped it up, you know, it was, it was taking a lot out of me. I wasn't able to put um, the attention into it that I felt it deserved that they deserved. But um, But we did have a really good final session. The players got to investigate a sort of smuggling operation. The Thieves Mm -hmm. Guild was operating out of the bottom of a Waxworks. Um, And I kind of presented them with a couple of different opportunities. They could go in stealthily, you know, sneak in at night. They could go in, kick in the door, just mess everything up. But actually, I was really proud of them. They were really creative. What they decided to do was take advantage of the mage, Mm. the sort of NPC mage who I had uh, accompanying them, to cast disguises there on each go. of them, which they they utilized to sort of go in, scout the place out, and then uh, the druid shapeshifted into a weasel.
1: Nice, nice. And uh,
0: snuck down into the basement and waited there overnight. And they, um, I gave them sort of plot items early on in the quest that allowed them to uh, communicate telepathically as long as they were within a, one mile of each other.
1: Okay. All right.
0: Um, so uh, he was able to communicate to the rest of them that, hey, it's going down. Um, <laughs> it's around, like, go, go, go. Yeah. Yeah. Around the time that it was happening. So they they rolled in and uh, took out a pair of thugs and a spy and a bandit captain were the NPCs from the, the bestiary nice. that, I, that I threw at them. And they, they dealt with it just fine. There were bears there were flaming spheres the monk <laughs> was just a monster i mean um, monks
1: are <laughs>
0: yeah so i think i think they had a lot of fun with it and they were super sad that the campaign was drawing to a close but i i definitely let them know i would absolutely love to return yeah to that i just you know i've got a lot going on right now between the podcast and yep. between a whole bunch of everything else and work and all that so i took a step back from it but it was a, a great sort of uh last
1: session last hurrah Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Those are always fun i mean uh, in general like it's always sad when you have a campaign end but at least when you end on like a last hurrah that's great mm-hmm. whereas like most of the campaigns that i've had end have always just been like oh wait when was the last time we met oh three years ago right yeah It just kind of peters out yeah it peters out you don't really have much of a conclusion yeah like there isn't really that much going on i mean that happened with my last campaign that i played in mm-hmm. and so it's just like I would much rather have like that big bang just like, all right, let's go let's yeah. like destroy something yeah and definitely make it epic and then finish off the campaign
0: yep yeah. so someday in the future you might uh, hear me refer back to that but for now taking a step away from that um, mm-hmm. I also played in my Emerald Spire campaign that's being run by a friend of mine from Tulsa yeah we just finished level six five six mm. something like that maybe I think we finished level five we're on level six okay and uh it's a lot of fun it's very goofy all of us are are very niche characters i'm a an oread monk so lots of hitting things lots of monkey goodness mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's always fun to play in. And, uh, and then i also got to play the continuing adventures of delta green
1: yep. uh,
0: or misadventures i suppose i should <laughs> say
1: oh yeah so i i was hearing about this from the gm Apparently, this last session involved Nazis.
0: It did, yeah. So one of the things that's very important in sort of the Delta Green, Cthulhu modern mm-hmm. setting is an organization called Karatekia, which is—it was, during World War II, the, like, super science, mysticism, cultishness mm-hmm. of the the Nazi regime. Like, they were yeah. actual, like— they might have been official military, they might have been paramilitary, mm-hmm. but they were officially authorized to, like, look into the occult. And so all of the, like, the Raiders of the Lost Ark Nazis yep. who are investigating that, that type of stuff, that's mm-hmm. Um And in Delta Green as a setting, that organization has persisted and they've discovered secrets of things like immortality and time travel and yeah. all this yeah. bullshit. We actually arranged a sit down with them mm-hmm. uh, because we had previously been burned like, our, our entire organization had been just eviscerated, and we were looking for information about who had done it. Yeah. Uh, so we we grit our teeth and had a sit-down with Hirotechia, in which we didn't really learn anything super useful, and we ended up walking away and finding the information we wanted elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was certainly... Interesting, it took all of my willpower not to punch certain people in the face. Uh, my character, <laughs> play, my play, character. Okay. I was going to say,
1: was it players at the table? No, was, no it was it was my character. There was
0: a a certain neo-Nazi figure ripped straight from the headlines made an
1: appearance. Ah.
0: And yeah, that was, it was interesting.
1: Yeah, all right. I, I remember the GM was saying that he was going to make this a very provocative session for you guys.
0: Yeah, he, that, yep. That That, happened. Yep. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) I'm very glad we did not end up working with them. Uh, I am kind of sad that we didn't end up just, like, marking them.
1: But you win some, you lose some. Exactly.
0: You have had uh, not an opportunity to play, but an opportunity to run. Yes. Starfinder, now, what, two weeks ago at Something along those lines. Like
1: two or three weeks ago, depending on, you know, exactly the, the date of the airing of this podcast. Right. Yeah. So I got to run pretty much the second session. We had three returning characters. Uh, We had your character, Greg. We had uh, Indigo Stars. And we had Will's character, who is the smuggler. Mm -hmm. We are joined by my friend Caitlin, who was playing a little Yosoki mechanic. So, little rat man mechanic kind of thing. And I thought that it went well. I, yeah, I, thought I that, totally agree. Yeah, you guys did a really good job with, with the role playing of it and everything like that. Yeah. You even forwarded the plot more than I would have expected. Yeah, so. well, it was
0: interesting. Yeah. I know the, the Hesper that you threw at us, I was definitely not expecting that to turn into like, hey, we'll take you to the sun. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like maybe we'll bring it on the ship. I kind of mm. saw that coming. Yeah. But, like, in terms of advancing the plot that much, and my character's plot in particular, of, yep. of going to the the cities in the sun, the burning archipelago,
1: that was totally out of left field. Yeah. Yeah, it was. But, I mean, like, that's that's good. Like, I think that that was really good initiative on some people's parts. Yeah. And in general, like, the role-playing... Like, first of all, I'm always internally laughing at, at some people's caution. So, <laughs> like... I think Caitlyn in particular, she's been burned by DMs in the past. Yeah, like believe you know, And so, whenever there's anything going on, it's like she will make sure to have at least two like escape routes and like not <laughs> touch did, yeah. anything until like it's completely certain. Which sort of works with the character as well. Oh, it so. does for sure. No, like it, it's uh, especially in this case with with the Yusoki little mechanic dude. Yeah, makes total sense. But it's just it's just me sitting behind the screen being like. You can just pull the lever and, and, and <laughs> talk to him. But uh, all right, all right, yeah, let's, yeah. let's go for I've all. Gotta be I've, over by the button. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like have the two people out by the button. To, you know, ready, ready. The thing, turn off the jammer. Okay, <laughs> now let's talk. <laughs> but yeah, you guys did a great job, like convincing him. Uh, and I finally had to get. Uh, I really wanted to get some combat in. So yeah, and we finally did. Yeah, so that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all
0: around. I mean, I think it was a great session. Yeah, seemed to seem to flow very well from a player perspective. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I thought that it was uh, it had some interesting plot points. You got to explore a little bit of the underworld of like the the satellite and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And see like how it runs from from the bottom up almost, and how a mischievous being that is not really like you know evil or anything like that just wants to change things for the sake of change yeah and it's just like all right yeah i'm gonna literally change like the language that you use into a language that doesn't exist this is
0: very (laughs) unique (laughs) interaction
1: yeah so so yeah it was uh it was fun to gm and uh, i'm glad you guys enjoyed playing
0: yeah definitely
1: well there you have it that's a look at some of the tales from our tabletops Here, smaro nom nom. Here, smaro nom nom. Feeding time. Why don't you go take a look at that
0: little creature over
1: there? It looks tasty.
0: Ah uh, ah uh, ah! Uh. But you can't eat my dugodillo. It's got hard shell.
1: Darn! Thwarted again. And oh
0: no, my last smaro nom nom. It's dying of starvation. Such is the cutthroat world
1: of evolution. Uh oh! There's a storm brewing.
0: Climate. Is the other part of the name of the game. Yeah, we couldn't really figure out how to work that in there. But Evolution Climate is what we're going to be reviewing today. Those of you who have been around for a long time or had the dedication to burn through our archives may remember our review of Evolution and Evolution Flight. This is a standalone, actually. Yeah. This isn't an expansion. Evolution Climate is its own box.
1: It is. Yeah.
0: With some new mechanics, mm-hmm. um, but revolving
1: generally around the same core gameplay so the core gameplay of evolution is pretty much you're creating your species you can have multiple species each player can and you're giving them traits and you're trying to see who is able to eat the most food amongst all of their species by the end of the game exactly so this is all pretty much revolving around the cards that you have in in your hand and in your deck so you will get a certain number of cards at the beginning of your turn that equals four plus the number of species that you have. You then use those cards. They are pretty much all trait cards, mm-hmm. unlike Evolution Flight, which added the uh, event cards. This right. one just has traits, and you pretty much. Can discard them to gain a new species, to increase body size, increase population, or just play the traits on your creations to, you know, <laughs> give them a little bit of an edge over the competition.
0: Yeah, but they're not Franken-creatures. This is no. Evolution Network. This yes. isn't some crazy scientist in his lab.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, each one is like going over generations or whatever and all that kind of stuff. That said, they can be extremely goofy. As the scientific name Smaronom-Nom really shows. It's... uh. It's something
0: else. Boops, boops. Yeah. Right, but so evolution climate takes a lot of these same core mechanics and adds one very important new thing to them and adds one very important new thing to them, which is the climate track. So at the top of the board, which takes the place of the watering hole from the original Mm -hmm. evolution, there is a track with a climate that goes from very, very cold to very, very hot with temperate in the middle. And it's divided up into different sections each of which has different mechanics that it influences. So the hotter you get, the more punishing it becomes for large creatures. So once you reach a certain point on the heat track, basically any creature with a body size of larger than five or larger than three, or -hmm. eventually larger than one, Mm -hmm. if you get high enough, will start to lose population because of the sweltering heat. They, you know, perspire and then they Mm -hmm. die. Yeah. Vice versa, the colder you go you punish small creatures they have faster metabolisms they you know give off heat they can't survive so Mm -hmm. you know starting with creatures of body size two or smaller four or smaller and then finally six or smaller everybody is just losing tons and tons of population during an ice age everyone is right we're in the middle of like a a global winter yeah no one's going to be doing very well so this new track not only does it influence you know what effective strategies look Mm -hmm. like it can also change the amount of food that's in the pile yeah hot climates they help you up to a point you know plants Mm -hmm. start to thrive but eventually you know you you reach the point of basically desertification and you're starting starting to lose food no matter what the cards say and then on the other end during the cold climates there's just no food it's just categorically yeah, Minim- just
1: like minuses to all across the board. Like you, you're you going to the, the cold climates and the winters, the global winters. Well, all the plants are dying out. Yeah,
0: it's bad news bears. Yeah.
1: It's, uh, it's a carnivore's world out there yeah. <laughs> until everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> until, yeah, until a meteor shows up and kills everybody. Yeah. So the game has an interesting way of actually changing how the climate functions. So, you know, you have to move it over one way or the other. And the players do have a certain amount of influence over this. This isn't like an action or anything that you take. What it is, is part of the food cards phase, pretty much. So, as uh, you may remember or know from evolution, the at the beginning of every turn, every player puts down a card that denotes the amount of food that is going to be placed in the watering hole or on the climate track this time. Mm-hmm. And now what they've added to the cards are pips that show either a sun or a snowflake. Which denote whether or not that card is pretty much pushing the climate into the heat or the cold. And when all of the food cards are revealed during the watering hole step, that's when you count out how many pips are of each type. And whichever one outweighs the other, that is the direction in which the climate is moving. Mm-hmm. So you could have it all, like, just fluctuate within the temperate zone if, like, people just move one way and the other. But if there's a concerted effort, especially if you see, like, multiple people being like, all right, we're going to do small creatures and we're going to go into the hot temperatures so that we can kill all the, like, big guys. Like, you could have multiple players actually putting that in to move the climb.
0: Right. And so it's a very resistant change mechanic, but it is controllable by the players to a certain extent. Exactly. Sort of the final mechanic that accompanies the climate track are special climate cards. Yeah. So there are two decks, one for hot and one for cold. Mm-hmm. And when you flip them over, each of them has uh, a temperature band that it occupies. So that says this card is triggered when the temperature reaches cold or the mm-hmm. temperature reaches cool or warm yeah. or what have you. And then it has an effect. And several of these are simply replacements for what would otherwise be the climate effect. If you have a cold snap in the middle of otherwise hot weather, for example, you can punish small creatures when they didn't expect to. So that can kind of keep you on your toes. Others of them are, shall we say, more...
1: Apocalyptic.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Meteors, volcanic eruptions, glacial thaws, things that are going to really have a big impact on the game. My favorite, my personal favorite, is Meteor, because it says... Don't put any food into the watering hole this turn, or for the rest of the game. It's basically, you are a carnivore, or you die. Yep. Or you're probably a carnivore, and then you die. <laughs>
1: Quite possibly.
0: It's it's definitely a mass extinction situation with the meteors. But so, where the climate track sort of represents gradual, sustained change mm-hmm. over time, the climate event cards can really have a, a an outsized effect once On the gameplay.
1: Yeah. And also just uh, to note, these climate event cards, when you're playing with them, and you don't have to, it is something that is a variant in the rules. That's true. We like to play with them when we play Evolution Climate. They're fun. But you get to see one cold and one hot out on the board at all times. So you know what is coming when you get to a certain point. It's not like... Oh, you're, you cross over this threshold, now draw a card, and it's a complete surprise. Right. That's very true. So you do get to actually see what's coming. You get to see and plan for that, which, you know, you can use to your advantage, and you can also read incorrectly, and then you get really screwed by it. <laughs> I'm talking for personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a bad game. <laughs> so in general, like, they are very interesting. In general, they pretty much just show, you know, these are the creatures that are affected. This is how many population they lose. And this is how food is affected by mm-hmm. this card. Yeah. Those are the, the major elements. And that's like the new mechanics that yeah. have been added in Evolution Climate. There have been some interesting changes to the actual cards themselves. Right. So the cards are mostly the same. They have the same artwork, a lot of it, from, from the old ones. But they also added new cards. Mm-hmm. So things like defensive frills, which are both a cooling mechanism and a defensive mechanism. hmm as well as heavy fur, which is a very, very good coping mechanism for cold. But as soon as you get into the hot temperatures, you're actually going to get a detriment from that. You're going to start losing population the longer you keep that on your uh, your creature.
0: Mm-hmm. And so these these cards are really interesting because they give you a way sort of around the strategy. You know, if mm-hmm. someone pushes you into a a hot zone that you weren't expecting and you're like, oh, crap, my creature's really big. I'm, I'm going to lose population. These cards just say ignore X population loss due to heat or yeah. Y population loss due to cold. So they kind of offer you a safety valve mm-hmm. um, if you can get them, as well as many of the older cards have been updated. Yeah. So things like defensive herding, burrowing, things that you know, reasonably, if you're clustered together, you're going to have body heat and you're going to be protected against cold. You know, if you're underground, you're going to be protected against heat. All these things make sense and they've been updated accordingly yeah. to sort of go along with the new climate tracker. And I think it's a very effective system.
1: I definitely think so. I, I think it's uh, the additions and the, the just the balance changes that they have made on the cards are definitely very worth it. Mm-hmm. So the game itself, I think... This is an incremental change. It's interesting because you don't get to see these very often in board games. It's true. We talked about this, uh, I think with with Mystic Vale, that the expansions have almost like done the incremental change for for the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some things are weak, so they added things in the expansion that made a certain strategy stronger and just tried to balance it out. But most games don't really have that ability, right. And I think it's really interesting to see that instead of just doing a evolution like second edition, they decided to add up this other mechanic and just change the game and make those other tweaks that do make the game a lot better and run a lot smoother. Yeah, And they really did do a pretty good job in my opinion. The game feel is definitely a lot less single strategy oriented. Mm -hmm. Because back in evolution, you pretty much want to be a long-necked, large herbivore. Yeah. And if you are that, you live and you win. And that's it. That's just how it works. If you max out body size and population and have like maybe one other defensive trait, like defensive herding, nothing can kill you.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, there are certainly ways around it, but it really puts the onus on carnivores to kind of go above and beyond. It's way easier to make, you know, tons of points. Eat Tons of food as an herbivore with the right setup with the right defensive traits So in terms of how climate affects that dynamic, I think it makes it a lot more dynamic It it, you know, it takes it from what essentially felt like a tug of war, you know, where you're you're trying to say, okay Well, I'm a carnivore. I want to try to uh, you know, use intelligence to negate your your cards or I want to play climbing to counter your climbing really just a one-for-one tit-for-tat Mm-hmm. Into something that's much more circular. It's much more, okay, you're going for a large herbivore strategy. I could carnivore and I probably still will carnivore, but I'm going to supplement that by pushing the temperature up and punish you for making a large body size that I otherwise yeah. wouldn't be able to eat. So, you know, that forces player A, the herbivore player, to adapt, which then forces the carnivore, like, for a game that's called Evolution, you want it to be constantly in flux. Mm-hmm. And I think the climate tracker does an incredibly good job of affecting that change in a way that feels very integrated into the game. It doesn't feel, you know, forced, it doesn't feel arbitrary. It's very well integrated into the strategy of the game, and I think it works very well.
1: Yeah, and it actually I think one of the things that is nice about climate is that if you have someone who is going out ahead and like, you know, getting just any any kind of big creature, like mm-hmm. that's that's wreaking, wrecking everyone else. You don't have to, you know, build up a whole another carnivore just to try to kill this thing. Like it works to just go ahead and increase the temperature. Mm-hmm. It, it's another strategy for punishing players that are getting a little bit too far ahead. That was not present in evolution. Right. It gives you an option that is not just like trying to build up a whole other species just to counter it. And it does actually increase a little bit of the player interaction there where now, you know, the player who doesn't want it to get hot, they would have to really focus on keeping the cards that and the traits to put into the center that have the snowflakes Mm -hmm. to keep the temperature cooling or something like that. Right. Or also, you know, you could have a strategy of just like building towards what climate you're pushing to.
0: Right, and I think because of the way that they implemented it, because of the fact that the way that players impact the climate is, it has been added to the food cards Mm -hmm. in that selection, to take that mechanic and to sort of graft it onto the food card system that already existed, was already very uh, flexible, very almost unique to evolution, I think was a great idea, and it makes the food card selection that much more impactful, Yeah, you know, because now... If you're trying to support a larger before strategy, it's not enough to just say, okay, I need a card with eight food on it, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of a card with negative food on it. Now you have to say, I have to have a card with eight food on it and one that I think is going to preserve the climate band where I am most comfortable.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and also, you know, you have to be careful of the different events that are ha- happening because, you know, you might want to go into the cold, but then you have, you know, a heat wave mm-hmm. that kills off some of your population. Right. And that makes you vulnerable to a pack hunter or something like that. So it really does have an interesting effect on gameplay in a very positive way, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, very much so.
1: That all being said, no game is perfect. Mm-hmm. And... Though it has gotten better, I still think one of the problems that I have with evolution climate, just as I had in evolution, is that the carnivore strategy is extremely difficult, if not unviable, pretty much. In my opinion, it's one of those where it's like, yes, you can do it, but where in evolution, if you look at like an actual food web, you have an apex predator. Here, that's almost impossible to keep.
0: Yeah, it's true. And I kind of want to push back against that somewhat. I do think that carnivore can be a viable strategy, but I think you've touched exactly on it, and it's that carnivore isn't a viable long-term strategy. Mm -hmm. You really have to be willing to, you have to be able to notice when, you know, things are turning against you, when people have defensive traits that you can no longer counter, or when, you know, the climate is shifting into an area that's untenable. And you have to be willing to sacrifice your carnivore trait and move back into an omnivore strategy.
1: Yeah, either that, or you know, it, you might be forced to sacrifice your entire carnivore. Or you know, it, it's a delicate balance because you you still have to invest so much in a carnivore to make them even viable. That's true. And then after that, for them to only be viable for like two turns until someone uh, until like all the creatures that you have been feeding on now have all the traits that you can't deal with. It's still a very, very frustrating thing where I would almost want it to be either incentivized in a different way or just there to be some kind of better balance between the carnivores and like the omnivores and the plant eaters.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. One of the other things that is, again, muted by some of the changes in climate, but is still present is luck. If you get the right combination of traits, you can just accelerate way faster than anybody else. Yep. and you can accelerate in fact so far that they can't catch you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way that they can hope to. Now, with climate that is again scaled back somewhat because yep. you do have to continue getting lucky in terms of the climate cards that you get and and sort of be able to control and maintain a, again a climate band where you're comfortable. But it is definitely still present. Uh, and if you if you get lucky enough especially in the early game, you can really sort of dictate how your opponents can respond. Which leads into, I think, our third and final no game is perfect comment. The game isn't terribly fun with only two people.
1: Yeah, with two players, it's very difficult. And it's one of those where everything is a zero sum game. You're playing against one other person. So every action that you do is going to have a reaction from them or anything like that. Carnivore strategy is even more difficult when you Mm -hmm. only have the one or two, or maybe even three creatures that your opponent has to eat, eat other than your own. Right. So, all this together really does make it so it's a game that I don't think I would like to play with two players. I think at least three, if you have three players, that's already in a good spot. A little bit more than that, even better. I think it goes up to six players. And I think that that's where it gets to be the most fun, like in the four or five player range. Yeah. Because you have enough creatures all around and enough diversity and like the cards are going in and it can be even harder to move the climate. So when we played with two players, it was pretty easy for one of us to put something that was higher than the other one Mm. and move the climate. When you get to more player counts, I think that the climate tends to stay a little bit more stable, especially if you have a variety of strategies. But That's also a blessing and a curse. Right. One thing just in passing was uh, a thought of mine. It would be interesting if the food was differentiated between plant food and actual like meat. Yeah. Because it's like that almost uh, if it were worth more, if it were like, you know, plant food is two for one. Uh, or e- even like something else, like uh, plant food is three for one point and like meat is two for one or mm-hmm. something like that. Because I think doubling the worth is not really a good, but just changing it a little bit in that way. And yeah, that would necessitate some different tokens and whatever. But I think that that would also help reward the players who stick with the carnivore strategy because it is so difficult to actually get into. Like it would almost make it, more worth it even if you are in there only for a little bit
0: yeah it's definitely i mean it would be very hard to balance i imagine yeah um but it, it's it's a very interesting prospect and i think would sort of solve some of those issues with okay well you know being a carnivore is unduly
1: hard mm-hmm. yeah exactly
0: so all things taken together how do we feel review what do you think
1: my thought is i think i'm going to be a little bit more optimistic but still give it a play it I think it's a fun game. I definitely would like like to bring it to table every once in a while. It's Mm -hmm. good, especially in the not-too-often-played, like, six-player range. Yeah. 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 It's nice that it has that ability. It's a definite improvement over Evolution Base and Evolution Flight. And I think that if you like those types of games, this is the best version of it. Agreed. Absolutely. So if you like those types of games, buy this. But if this is a game that's new to you that you just, like, thought, oh, this is a cool-looking game, and that's one thing I haven't mentioned, the artwork on this game is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, it's great. It's, like, the style of it is amazing. It's all these multicolored creatures, uh, all these fantastical things, lizards with horns, like, you know, you got all these really cool things based sort of off of, like, real-world creatures, but a lot of them have something different. Um, And... It's colorful. It's fun. The backs of the cards for the evolution uh, climate events are really cool because they blend into the actual mat. So mm-hmm. it, it's got like that really cool visual trick over there. Mm-hmm. And and so in general, I think it is definitely worth a play. And this is definitely one that I would say play it before you buy it. Yeah, agreed. If you play it and you love it, go, go for it. If you love evolution, buy it. If you're not sure, play it first. That would be pretty much how I think.
0: I'm gonna echo a lot of that sentiment. Uh, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna go one step up. I am gonna say that this is a buy it. Like you said, I think out of all of the evolution sort of properties, the franchise, this is the strongest. I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, in terms of game balance, in terms of the just the care that went into the design and making sure that everything worked well together, I think climate is really, really great. It's, as you mentioned, absolutely gorgeous. It's got really high-quality components in there. It plays a really wide range of players. Two to six is is very rare to find. Yeah. And I think it's just a great game to have on a shelf. Even though games can run long, especially with larger numbers of players, mm-hmm. the pace of the game is very quick. Yeah. You know, it never really feels like a game is stalling because, you know, everybody's going and everybody's picking new traits and then, you know, everybody sort of takes from the the watering hole in very quick succession and it's a very quick
1: long game yeah i think the key to that is that uh you're involved in almost every step in that like you know you're watching all the players before you to see what they did like did they increase their body size as one of them indicating that they're going to become a carnivore is like you know what's going on yeah and once you go like you're still watching the players after you you might not be able to Respond immediately, but at least you want to know what the heck is going to happen.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a high degree of player involvement. So everything taken together, I think Climate's a great game. I'm going to give it a buy it.
1: There you have it. But before we go, let's look at a few games that are similar. So we have two to highlight. And one of them, the first one that I'm, I'm going to talk about, is one that you would not expect. <laughs> and this is Castles of Mad King Ludwig. So you're going from a you know, card-based game to a tile-based game and that kind of stuff. But hear me out so castles has a very similar kind of adaptation mechanic where you have a certain direction that you want to go and build your castle but you have to very much adapt to how the other players are building theirs because you have new tiles that are coming out every turn you have a master builder who is deciding where those go as the master builder you have to look at how all everyone else is building their tiles and react to that to see like, oh, are they gonna be willing to pay the money for this so I have the resources to do something else? And so it's very much that kind of like, you know, back and forth, like circular kind of gameplay like Evolution has. So even though the theme is completely different, <laughs> um, I think that the gameplay itself has enough similarities that weirdly, if you like one, you will probably like the other.
0: Yeah, I think so. The other game that we want to highlight is Photosynthesis. This one is maybe a little bit closer in theme. In Photosynthesis, you are planting trees and sort of nurturing them, growing them to uh, their greatest heights, and then harvesting them for points. So with Photosynthesis, you do share a lot of strategic elements with Evolution Climate. On the one hand, you've got you know sort of this shared pool of resource that you're competing over, whether it's food or sunlight, which is basically plant food, and you very much have to respond to the placement of your opponent's trees. You're constantly looking for ways to outmaneuver them, to block them, to, you know, find areas that they haven't blocked yet. And so it's a, it's basically a spatial execution of the gameplay that you find in Evolution Climate, where you're, you're responding to new situations that your opponents have set out before you, and also trying to keep in mind your own kind of growth over time and know, okay, when am I going to play into this strategy? When am I just going to cut my losses and change things up? So I think photosynthesis, definitely a very different feel, but has a lot of the same strategic elements and considerations that you find in evolution climate.
1: There you have it. That's our full review of evolution climate. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Don't forget, Washington is coming up September 8th and 9th, and tickets are on sale now. Get them early as prices do go up at the end of May. So the earlier you get them, the better price you get. Also, be sure to check out our live streaming because we did a lot of it this past week. We had a really cool live stream at Labyrinth Games and Puzzles for International Tabletop Day. We also have a ridiculous video of our Unstable Draft, which we are doing again. Uh, We have a friend who did a cube, and so it was a lot of fun. And this week we are going back to Near and Far. So join us on Wednesday for our stream of that, as well as next week when, when we have Daniel George and Mac Hillier, who are the designer and the illustrator for Treasure Mountain, coming on to the podcast to talk about their latest game. We hope to see you all there.